Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ever dance with the devil in the pale Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1989, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1989 from under the sea here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. And with us today is the great Dana Schwartz. Thank you for coming back, Dana. Thank you so much for having me. It has been way too long. Way too been, long. I think election, right? So like that's early. Yeah. Yeah, it's like early pandemic. Early pandemic. Yes. Good but we... I don't know if you know this, but we are doing the 1989 um, Patreon mm-hmm. solely to have you on to talk about Howard Ashman. I mean, so, this is basically that's like it's like I was, it was, it was born one of the for reasons. Me. Yeah, I was born. That for was it. the plan. Yep. yep. So uh, go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and go. Well, I I, here's like a question. I Phil knows that I've had this long-standing obsession with Howard Ashman, so I'm genuinely Indeed. honored and flattered and and thrilled to be talking about this movie. And I will bore you with context uh, for the full uh, recording time. Dana has also written a wonderful feature about Howard Ashman, which I had the pleasure of reading. So it, you, it, it's no, of course, but truly, this was one of the reasons that we obviously were going to have you on for this movie. But I, I want to kind of just for both of you, like contextually how did the little mermaid when did you guys see it for the first time cuz like this is probably one of my earliest animated film memories i don't know if it's the same for you guys but i definitely like i grew up with three siblings in a household where like disney clamshells were a main form of entertainment sure, sure. so my entire childhood was watching vhs's at home including little mermaid which was sure, sure. heavily featured in the rotation 
So the the rotation, though, you know, early OG Disney, right? Because this is the beginning, and we'll get into this, but like this is the this is the beginning of the Renaissance of the next Renaissance, if you will. Yes. So the the years preceding this were a dark time for the Disney Corporation. Well, but before I, I that, I would argue yeah. a a um, commercially unsuccessful yes, yes. time. That's a better way of putting it. Yes. Because they they were doing some interesting things, but they they yeah. didn't know. Now I'm going to begin boring you. They didn't really know um, what their audience would be in a post Walt world. They were trying to do more adult and not when I say adult, like more like for older children, animated movies, darker, Mm -hmm. non musicals. And these are the context of like rescuers and the great mouse detective Mm -hmm. and black cauldron, Cauldron, which is a famous flop. Uh, And the, the, you know, a movie like uh, The Great Mouse Detective, which I find actually pretty good and enjoyable, mm-hmm. was a huge embarrassment for Disney because a Bluth movie, Fievel, I think this was the first Fievel it's movie, American, American Tale, American Tale, Tale. Uh, came out and and wildly bested it. So they were beaten mm-hmm. not only in it by making uh, it's not even the best mouse movie. Exactly, <laughs> it's not it's not even that they were beat by Bluth; it's that they were beat with another mouse movie, sure. and so. I, I do think it was that they were beat by Blues. I, I think that really is the big, you kind of that the the big smack in the face that they yeah. they they threw away or they kind of let the contract expire of the guy who clearly had some value in this mm-hmm. space. Now, I look, I I happen to literally have a ten film animated collection <laughs> with an American Tale on my desk at this moment. Great movie, to be, to be yeah. fair. So I you're love, not going to find a better Jewish mouse movie than an American true. Tale. No, a I love metaphor. that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, I love that movie, and I, I, I think it's it would have been an interesting counter counterfactual if Bluth stayed in the fold, and that and The Land Before Time were yeah. Disney movies. And I do wonder the direction of Disney had that had happened. Well, I don't know how nerdy your fan base is in terms of Disney history. And Very nerdy. Also, I, yeah. I literally don't care how Bring nerdy it. they are. How nerdy are you? No, I'm just saying that it, for some added context, if they didn't know when Bluth, who was a Disney animator, left, he sort of brought the top crop of talent with him mm-hmm. away. So Disney animate, yes. animation was left sort of with the B team and Disney responded by cutting their funding, uh, cutting budgets on films that were already in progress and moving Disney animation away from the main studio in Burbank to like a, a trailer lot in Glendale. So Disney, uh, their live action was becoming a little more successful with like, uh, you Down know, Tombstone or Splash and, and whatever. But- Who framed Roger Rabbit, which is also, I mean, but, but to your, to your point, well, who, Dana, so, like, but, but there, and- there is, but and that, an- this is yes. In, their in, animated in, movies were becoming sort yes. of the the redheaded stepchildren of right. the. In the eighties, they started Hollywood Pictures and they started Touchstone Pictures, mm-hmm. uh, which basically birthed Disney live action movies. And it seemed like a a potential, like a, a realistic avenue for Disney that they would move away from making animated films altogether and just yeah. become another studio. And again, I mean, they brought over Eisner and Katzenberg, who were Paramount guys, who were live action guys. Live action guys. So they really didn't know what they were doing. Uh, or, I mean, they theoretically didn't know what they were doing, I guess it should, I, we, we should say. Um, Although it I'm turns out really... they would make one very, very good decision for the future of animation, which we'll get to. Yeah, I, I, I feel like a lot of these... 
podcasts that talk about this period of Disney, yeah. this period of animation, just like kind of double as opportunity to talk about how dumb Eisner and Katzenberg are. <laughs> I'm not really that interested in that. No, there no. Are a lot I'm, of other pod, there are a lot of other podcasts where you can like hear all the dumb mistakes they made, but like that's really not what I want to talk. Sure. About. I, I, it should be said though that that what they imagined with. Hollywood Pictures and and Touchstone and what have you has come to fruition. I mean, Bob Iger has figured out how to do all the things that they were hoping to be doing back yeah. in the in the late eighties and early nineties. So it's it's not as though it was foolish. It was, of them it was to figured out. It. Well, yeah, it was figured out before yeah. Iger. That's yeah. also sort of why I'm like, oh, that it's not quite as foolish as we as exactly. some exactly. people think because like they also then became largely successful and they were the ones yes. who brought in. Howard Ashman, which sure. they were the the shepherds of the Disney Renaissance. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a really interesting time to sort of to to look at Disney under a microscope to some degree in terms of, of the choices that were being made and how kind of ahead of them ahead of the game they really were. Um, and also, and you know, when we get into into Little Mermaid specifically, the choices that they wanted to make that could have very much ruined to this movie like when you think about you know not wanting to to have certain songs in this yeah that that are ultimately the spine of a character i mean there was just a lot of of creative choices that could have been catastrophic that worked out for them as well but i i you know watching this film again the other day i mean it, it is just it's it's so joyous and it, like from from literally the the first second of it it's it's infectious and i i would argue that that's the thing that they really weaponized like that for just sure. the, the vibe and the feeling because i don't i mean again i think that black cauldron's fine i think great mouse detective is fine i think oliver and company like these movies are fine but like this is leaps and bounds like this movies, is those movies yeah, sorry, going, yeah. stink dude i mean <laughs> no, no, like they're fine they're like, fine they're not terrible they, they, no they they like stink they're like borderline unwatchable like no no i great i think no. Of the, three, of the three the one of the three the one that isn't awful is the great mouse detective yeah i'm saying great mouse detective is actually pretty good and i'll it's i'll say fine. that and i will also say give us some bangers on oliver, that oliver and company that gives right. us that's bangers a that's a <laughs> no, you're absolutely wrong that's a thank you i'm gonna say <laughs> i saw that's billy joel. That, that is that is some that is some shrek ass shit dude that's saw, like the, Billy, billy joel, joel who i love should not be anywhere near a disney movie but okay uh, all no, right, he gave us, he gave us some bangers, and that's all. Awesome. <laughs> all all okay. I'm saying, I, more than anything, is that I I don't think those feel like Disney movies. Is they I don't. Think the point that we're trying. Disney to doesn't make. think yeah. they feel right? like Disney movies. Exactly, because they Disney kind of just pretends they don't exist. Yeah, exactly, which is I, fine. Which I get because yeah. I'm down with that. I want to give you my context for please, for please, please, Little yeah. Mermaid. Yeah, for Ariel. Huh? Uh, <laughs> 1989, I'm seven years old, and it really pains me to remember this period of my life when at seven, so a little two second grade baby, I decided I was too cool to go see a Disney animated movie. Oh. And like, frankly, like a lot of boys were like that. Yeah. Like this, it was not something that like the boys came in and talked about the next day. Mm -hmm. um, however, it was definitely a phenomenon i remember the teacher like stopped class so the people who saw little mermaid that weekend could talk about it and i was thinking like this wow. is absurd like this is like this is 
this is a joke. We're going to talk about this baby movie. We're we're second graders. So I love imagining a young Kenny just with like the voice you have now being like, this is absurd. This is a baby movie. I had the same. I was doing like jerk off motions. I'm just like, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, so um, I did not watch this movie. Now I had a sister who's two years younger than me who did watch this movie. But I didn't watch this movie until like randomly. Like she had it on. I was in the same room and I was like drawn in and uh, watched it all the way through the end. And I, I must have been, I couldn't have been more than eight or nine and fucking cried at the end. And I was so like surprised with myself crying at the end of an animated movie. And a baby movie. And a, a baby, baby movie. a fucking baby <laughs> movie. Because I was like slapping myself, like "Man up, Kenny!" This is a baby movie, <laughs> uh, and I'm crying. So yep, from yep. that point forward, like it was like kind of my guilty pleasure, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, all right, I know I like Little Mermaid. I'm not going to tell anybody about it, but I like I like it. And then you know, around like I would say Lion King time, so '94. Things that Aladdin, like really, they they made like a real, they made a real push for the boys with Aladdin, they did. and that worked for me to some extent. So Aladdin and Lion King uh, turned me a little bit, and then Toy Story comes out in '95, and then it was kind of okay to say like, you know, I saw yeah. Little Mermaid. It was okay. Pixar movies, yeah, sure. it was now, okay, yeah, it was okay, I mean, it was fine, you know. <clears throat> like, I mean, if, 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 if you like that sort of thing, uh, and. Uh, now, so so that happens, and then you know you, you I have like nieces who are like thirteen. I have a niece who's thirteen and ten, so she's watching a lot, and I catch it here and there. You know, a little more sophisticated. It was a pretty good movie, and then when my kids were like two, we watched it every day. So I don't think I've seen any movie more than I've seen Little Mermaid. Really, eighty-five minutes long. Yes. Uh, we, you watch it. We would watch it in its entirety every weekend. I have analyzed every second of this. It is the only movie we have ever done, Phil, that I did not feel like I had to watch, though I did. But I didn't. I do not. I didn't learn right. anything new from this watch because I know sure. every fucking line of this movie. I put it on my original top five of this year, um, which you didn't, Phil. But I put it in my original top five of this year. Uh, I don't know if it'll it, stay there. But I absolutely love this movie. I think it is, a, it is the single most watchable movie that has ever been made. Um, it's a clip. It goes. Yeah, it moves. It is. Yeah. So, it, it, there's it no fat so on this fast. thing. Yeah. No well, fat. I mean, it, well, there's a little bit, but like it's very joyful. It's the good fat. Uh, but even the the good fat, it just makes the characters richer. They yeah. they really yes. they yes. got it down to a science. It's what like a tight ninety. Uh, it's not even. It's, not it's like even. eighty-five minutes. Le Poisson, Le Poisson is is a little fatty, but it's delicious, and I love it. <laughs> so, and I love every second of that song. And I and 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 uh, and there is this like thing now where people criticize it. And yeah. I I asked you both to listen to the Malcolm Gladwell podcast and the Craig Mazin John August podcast about it. And I have a yeah. lot to say about these bad faith criticisms. All right. Yeah, I, I do want to get. To, we'll, we'll absolutely get to that. I want to talk about sort of. I, I want to talk about the Howard Ashman component of this and sort of how this movie came to be, um, and then we can talk about the the bad takes and the what have you. But but Dana, 
Uh, you obviously know more about this than, than Kenny and I, but but how does Howard Ashman come into this? How does he get this job? Do you? I mean, how does this happen for him? Yeah. And- H- Howard Ashman, uh, actually, people don't realize Little Shop of Horrors in Howard Ashman's lifetime was never on Broadway. Before the movie, it was never on Broadway. It was an off-Broadway phenomenon. So Howard Ashman was still sort of considered an outsider. Sure. I mean, he wasn't, but like, it, you know, it wasn't like he was a big, like Lin-Manuel Miranda of the eighties. Right. Uh, and he does have one show on Broadway with Marvin Hamlish that he does the lyrics for that flops called smile. And what is that called again? Smile. Smile. Sure. But it, it's uh, Howard Ashman is sort of in a, in a flop period being right. dealing with that. And, but he grew up loving the classic Disney musicals. Those really, I think influenced and informed him. And it's a, uh, David Geffen, who brings him in because Geffen worked with him on the film and soundtrack of Little Shop of Horrors. And Geffen's the one who recommends Ashman to uh, Katzenberg. And he says, he's your guy. You need, you know, a musical. This is who to talk to. And they were really struggling with Little Mermaid, the concept. And Howard comes in and I think he's credited as an EP on it, but also obviously the lyricist. So Sometimes when people think that he's just the lyricist, you know, he also was there very much actively shaping the story. I mean, it was his, he's like, okay, well, let's make the crab Jamaican. Why? Because it'll be fun. Like he very much also structured the story the way you would structure a Broadway musical where he's like, you need an I want song. And then this happens. And then this is the second act. He like held, you know, court for these animators to teach them how to structure this movie. Well, that that's, I mean, it, you sort of hit the nail on the head here. And that's, I was referring to that a little bit earlier. Part of your world is the want song, right? I mean, that, that's yeah. literally that crystallizes, you know, Ariel's mission and, and her goals. And Katzenberg wanted to cut it. He said it was boring. Yeah. He said that the kids in the test screening weren't interested in it. Uh, you know, classic, move it along, get us where we got to go, as opposed to seeing what this is doing for the rails of the character. Yeah, they actually joked that like... Uh part of your world was like somewhere that's wet. Like that's what they called it because it's so similar in tone to somewhere that's green uh, from Little Shop Forest. Yeah. I mean, I think this randomly came out during our first podcast, the store little one, how much I love little shop. Um, And it is perfect movie. Perfect musical. Perfect music. But it's, if it's not my favorite, it's top three. um, And I love everything about it. And I love somewhere that's green. Um, I, I do think I want to say two things. One, part of your world is the best song in this, and it's the best I want song Disney has ever done. Yes. Two, yeah. there is some revisionist history on the way this this piece was met at the time, because absolutely this had to be in the movie. Absolutely, does it? Does it? Because I think I know people are like Fathoms Below. What a great way to start. It's fine. Bathrooms Below is indistinguishable from most other, you know, Disney music, <laughs> Disney songs. It's a good song. I'm not saying it's not, yeah. but like whatever. The uh, the song that they do for King Triton, where they introduce Ariel, that's not even a fucking yeah. song. So part of your world immediately elevates this from, right. you know, from like, you know, B level uh, musical, which was what movie musicals were in general, B-level music compared to Broadway, to something Broadway caliber. And I absolutely yeah. love the song. However, the one that won best, best song was Under the Sea. And the sensation yeah. was Under the Sea. 
Yeah. That was the one that really, you know, kind of sucked people in uh, who weren't in this world already. And I think it sounded nothing like Disney songs before outside of some stuff from the Jungle Book. Well, I mean, so, Under the Sea is a, is a crowd pleaser. You play yeah, Under the pleaser. Sea. Everyone's on your side. That's yeah, the Be Your yeah. Be Our Guest. You know it's what the I mean? Be That's Our Guest. The, yeah, well, yeah, it's, but it's before Be Our Guest. It, it yes, set no, the template, it set the template for those types of songs. Because yeah. I, the I Want song is always in. There's an I Want song in Snow White. There's an I Want song in Cinderella. Well, um, but yeah. the but but kind of the big number, mm-hmm. a Broadway think, style number. It's a, it's yeah, the end of Act One in a Broadway musical. Yes, it is. Yes, it the is. end of Act One number. So um, I I, I okay, want to yeah. just this is also in this <clears throat> in this sort of arena, which is that there are a couple cuts that were made in terms of of deleted scenes, if you will. Um, the first one is from Fathoms Below. There's a sequence yeah. which is explained that that Ursula is Triton's sister. Sister. It was more of like then, a narrative, like, welcome right. to this movie. Here's the right. story. And then there was an extended or an alternate version of Poor Unfortunate Souls, which explains why Ursula was banished by Triton. I don't know that I necessarily need that. I mean, clearly I don't. I mean, the movie's still great without it. But it does sort of explain a little bit more as to why Ursula is... Like, ultimately, she's a villain, and we're fine with her being a villain, and she wants to be the queen of the, the ocean, and you get it. You don't need it, but there is a part of me that's like, it, it's, it would have been interesting. It might have been interesting to have that, that, that context. I actually almost prefer without context, because I sure. think that modern animated movies, especially modern Disney movies, I'm looking at a movie like Frozen 2, Gives us way too oh much in terms of explanations. <laughs> so where I honestly prefer where they're like, she's a sea witch. Yeah. Everyone's on board. Yeah. Of course yeah. she's evil. She makes deals. Yeah. She's the devil. Like, totally kids don't agree. care. Yeah. I mean, Frozen I, is so convoluted. Frozen 2 is <laughs> Frozen so two convoluted. Is Frozen 2 is too much. Frozen <laughs> like, 2, are you, I am lost watching 2. And frankly, I'm lost watching 1 as well. <laughs> like, we, we, like, the trolls aspect of it. It's like, wh- sure. what are we doing? How are we getting here? Like, they do feel the need to explain away every fucking beat of that movie. <laughs> the I plot feel. of Frozen 2, if you ask someone to explain it to you, oh. I, I cannot imagine how that that's how you know that it was like it was stuck in story hell and they were going over and over because if someone just sat I, down and started with that and said it, they would shoot that person in the head I, or, or, or freeze them to death. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a crazy wall with, behind with yeah. you. But yes, it's a serial killer wall. But I, I, I do. I have serious problems with Frozen 2, but I have no problems with with. Little Merman, Danny, you you yeah. hit like the like the thing that I want to like write flashing letters over and over again, which is kids don't care. Yeah, this is a kids movie. Yeah. This is for kids. Like like big fucking flashing letters. And my like commentary that I, I the thing I want to like kind of get out as we get into the criticism of this movie, which obviously makes me mad, is that people want this movie to be a commentary on this movie. People right. look back at this movie and they don't appreciate that it's the thing. Mm-hmm. Not the thing commenting on the thing. It's the thing that other things comment on. It's as if you go, you want to go back and say, well, here are all the issues Gone with the Wind made and they should have been fixed in Gone with the Wind. Well, that wasn't possible. Right? Make your fixes now. Right. Um, and comment on that. But... Right. What would, but, but all the issues I think people have with, um, with this movie want it to be something it is not designed to be. It is a fairy tale. Do people, I, I don't really hear a lot of people who have issues with this movie. 
Well, I mean, um, there are the two podcasts that, that Kenny referred to, which I, I have to be, you know, full, full disclosure, did not get a chance to listen. I, to, so. I've listened to p- pieces of them. My, I feel like that those were so specific where it's like, those are people so in the industry. So like, but I'm like, lar- culturally, largely, I mean, the response is near universal acclaim, it's right? It's pretty beloved. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 maybe, again, I'm, maybe, maybe I felt like this is a bigger moment than it was with Gladwell putting out a three podcast Right, a three right. a three episode podcast on the ways in which this fucks up little minds, and my sense and and you read the the comments about it. My sense was that there was a real, you know, a real uh, analytical like like a real analytical like reevaluation of this mm-hmm. movie's place, which is essentially I hear, the thing I hear a lot, and you heard in the Mason August podcast too. Mm-hmm. is in the second act, and this is a two-act structure, like a Broadway show. Yep. In the second act, Ariel loses her agency and becomes a passive character. And Craig Mazin was saying, if you really look at this movie, the real protagonist of this movie is King Trite. And he meant that as a criticism. Um, and I think that those two things are total bullshit, like deep, deep, deep bullshit. Yeah, but that's really me. We don't that. need to talk about that. Like if, if you guys don't feel that. No, no, I, I mean, mean, I, I sorry, go ahead, Dana, please. I mean, I, I get it, but I just, I feel like those criticisms definitely aren't in the broader cultural conversation. I do feel like people sometimes are like, Oh, she doesn't have a voice. She doesn't talk. It's a rapey. And I'm like, I get that. Those are sort of fun People on the internet love to take like beloved properties and just find like a new angle on them. But like by and large, I watch the movie and it it doesn't read problematic to me. It feels like you can, you know, poke fun all you want and like find your little angle, but the movie itself doesn't doesn't read problematic. There there are some problematic things, but the things that would like be problematic to the point that would make me like actually actually not want to show it to people. That people claim, like what you were saying, Dana, that's not yeah. there. That the 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 rapey <clears throat> thing is not there. What's there is a sixteen-year-old protagonist who is sexualized. And yeah, yeah, that's it, true. So that's like that's the thing, but that's the thing you can kind of you know get past. That was you know in Hans Christian Andersen's version, and that mm-hmm. is something that you just like that was just a mistake. But I I'm over it in one second. And the other thing is there are, there are some racial char- racial caricatures in it. That um, again, like yeah, y- you time to get over it. Like I, 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 I get that like it's uncomfortable, and I get that like it's not a great decision. But yeah. I also would say that this is the thing, not the commentary on the thing. This is sure. 1989, and um, and it was you know, there's a larger question about cultural appropriation and a larger question about what's appropriate and not appropriate sure. in a movie like this. Um, but I also don't think you want to be in a world where there are there are certain uh human tro- tropes you can't use when you're uh, in cartoons. So, I completely you know. agree with you. And I, I would also say, too, that, you know, and, and you you sort of underlined this uh, a second ago, Kenny, but the, the, the fairy tale component of this is something that really can't just be sort of swept under the rug. Like, these are fables. These are fairy tales. It's a fairy and, tale. And you yeah. can't be literal about these things. I, I you know, I understand that and, and Dana said it perfectly, you know, film Twitter loves to crawl inside beloved things and deconstruct them and 
basically tell people that they shouldn't love things. That, that's essentially what Twitter seems to be about more, more times than not. So it doesn't surprise me that there are people coming at this movie and saying like, you know, she can't talk and this, that, and whatever. Like, I get that. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor. It's, it's trying to, to talk about various things within the context of a fairy tale. So I think everyone needs to just chill the fuck out about it a little bit. And just, and, and truly, I would also say too, like, you know, we have a live action movie coming out from Rob Marshall, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Kenny, when we did our, our Annie episode. Um, I don't know what that movie looks like. I don't, I don't know how excited I am for, for, this version of it good luck to him and them yeah i can't wait to see it i'm excited i'm very um, curious i'm genuine i will be there i'm sure i will be there i've seen all these live action movies for the most part uh i'm curious to see what they did i think it's interesting you know that um oh my god forgive me the the, the hamilton actor who's doing sebastian who's doing the voice of sebastian david diggs yeah. Yeah. So like, again, it's, I, I think that they're trying to deal with the things that you're talking about, Kenny, in terms of some of these cultural appropriations and what have you. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they're, 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 they're handling it as best, I guess you can, without losing some of the things that are special about the original. I also feel like as three white people, maybe it's not our place to specifically well, deem sure. whether or not like the cultural racial appropriation of little mermaid. Like, I think we can have a conversation about the Little Mermaid without being like the Absolutely. judge and arbiters about that. No, no, part of it. we we, we, we shouldn't be the we shouldn't be the judge or arbiters, but I think we'd be remiss not to at least point it out, at least yeah. mention it. Sure. And, and I, I would also say too that you know one of the things that's that's kind of lovely about this movie, for all intents and purposes, is that it does feel. Uh, heightened and, and magical and, and it's got all these things going on and it's so joyous that I would hate to sort of, as film Twitter loves to do, put these things under a microscope and, 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 and ruin sort of the special qualities of them is, is part of it. But I want to give a synopsis for the people, maybe the five people that have never seen Little Mermaid. Uh, in Disney's beguiling animated, uh, animated romp, rebellious 16-year-old mermaid Ariel is fascinated with life on land. Uh, on one of her visits to the surface, which are forbidden by her controlling father, King Triton, she falls for a human prince. Determined to be with her new love, Ariel makes a dangerous deal with the sea witch, Ursula, to become human for three days. But when the plan goes awry for the star-crossed lovers, the king must make the ultimate, sac ultimate sacrifice for his daughter. Little Mermaid opened on November 15th, 1989, in third place behind Harlem Nights and Look Who's Talking, which is Talk about a time capsule in and of itself. Uh, it would go on to gross $213 million on a $40 million budget. It has 93% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 88 from audiences. I'm going to read a snippet of Roger Ebert's four-star review who said, Walt Disney's Little Mermaid is a jolly and inventive animated move, uh, fantasy, a movie that's so creative and so fun, it deserves comparison with the best Disney work of the past. Something seems to have broken free inside all of these people and the animated animating directors they worked with. Here at last, once again, is the kind of liberating, original, joyful, animated Disney film we all remember from Snow White to Pinocchio and other first-generation classics. There has been a notion in recent years that animated films are only for kids, but why? The artistry of animation has a clarity and a force that can appeal to anyone, if only... It isn't shackled to a dim-witted story. The Little Mermaid has music and laughter and visual delight for everyone. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's all true. I, it's 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 a it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. And I said this earlier, but I mean, from the very first shot, I found like you are swept up in in the sort of majestic qualities of this film from the very beginning. I would also say too that that and you know, Kenny, you're completely fair in terms of uh, your dislike for the the 
animated films that came before this or shortly before this. But one of the things about those films that I think is that the animation always felt a little bit uninspired, I guess. They just didn't feel like the love was on the screen. And this movie, every shot feels like it's filled with love. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, the, the physical, uh, not physical, Jesus Christ, the, the artistry of the ocean, yeah. I mean, sets, sets so a, you know, a, a, a seal, a floor, a floor. Raises the bar. Jesus, I'm like, my mad brain is working. Raises the bar for animation. We know what you meant. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. you so much. Well, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> under, under, underwater is uh, almost like a, a, or almost was yeah. like a forbidden fruit of animation because it's so hard to do and it's so mm-hmm. hard to make it look fluid in that kind of way. There's a little bit in Pinocchio and it looks pretty fucking terrible. Yep. So, um, it look it's so beautiful and yeah, I guess fluid is a not maybe the right word, but it's fluid and it it, is, the, yeah. the the lights the light hits perfectly, the way the lights refracted through the water and the way mm-hmm. Ariel's hair moves and everything is it's just it's really just gorgeous and I, I absolutely love being under the sea in this movie. Um mm-hmm. well I, I, also I, I want being on land and I think that's totally. like very I, I like there not to jump ahead, but yeah. The vision of the castle on the bluffs, right on the water, it's like beautiful. it's a different kind of kingdom. And I, I, I'm very, very into that. It's not as like in your face as Arendelle's like, we're the winter kingdom. It's just, it's very, <laughs> it's very calm. It's very calm and, and subtly this like oceanic empire thing that like feels we feels kind of like subdued and i think actually helps eric a lot as a character right like it makes him more earthy it makes him more down it makes him more um weirdly more like relatable and believable mm-hmm. he's he doesn't seem like some all the he doesn't seem like a prince charming or a, yeah. or one of those like you know untouchable disney princes from you know the past no he's, he's a cool he's, prince he's, yeah. he's, I know, and that's another thing people get on this idea that he's some kind of cipher. But no, he's pretty cool, and he's, yeah, he's got he has, more depth. Yeah, he has a dog. I feel like people don't talk about the fact that he loves his dog. Loves he dog. doesn't like a big statue of him because he's cool. Yeah, yeah, he's good yeah. to Grimsby. Yeah, he is good to Grimsby. <laughs> I like I, I, I like people who like wise old men. <laughs> I just want to rewind very quickly just to talk for a second about the actual physical animation. This was the last Disney film to use all hand-painted cells and analog camera film work. So everything from this point on had some digital component, you know, mixed into it. Uh, a thousand different colors were used, over a thousand backgrounds, over one million drawings were used uh, in total to make the film. Um, and the directors insisted that every one of the millions of bubbles should be hand-drawn, not Xeroxed. So Jesus. the sheer manpower of that alone is just kind of staggering to think about. But but that goes into what you're saying, Kenny, right? Which is that we've all seen animated films and now we've seen many digital films where you know a lot of things are just copied right it's just it's easy to sort of create a copy of on a copy and a copy mm-hmm. this feels so individualistic and so specific and so special in that way um there's a couple other pieces of just of, of little bits of trivia that i think are interesting jim carrey auditioned for the role of prince eric which i think really is crazy uh but that happened um the ariel's body type was apparently modeled after Alyssa milano huh. I, I don't know. You could take now we know like from that. Um, and the, the model effect of her, somebody. 
Sure. The effect of her hair underwater was based on footage of astronaut Sally Ride in weightless conditions, which I think is pretty awesome. Very cool. Clever. Thank God we've had a, we had a female astronaut. <laughs> yes. Finally, if, it paid off. Finally, it paid off. Ariel's the first Disney animated heroine to have a bare midriff so the, and to display cleavage. Uh, so there's that too. Um, Ariel and Sebastian's names were from characters in the play The Tempest, uh, which I think is interesting yeah uh and i this is bizarre but uh it's believed that the wedding dress that ariel wears towards the end was based on princess diana's from the royal wedding in 1981 is it possible and hear me out that yeah. that was just the style of what wedding dresses <laughs> yes. in the 80s looked I, I, like? I, i'm just saying yes. yes. i mean i get it don't they shoot both, the messenger <laughs> i i agree it, it does a little bit look influenced by princess diana's wedding dress but i will mm-hmm. also say in the 80s, big sleeve. Like, it, it was also yes. influenced by my mom's wedding dress. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good dress. I like the dress. Yeah, your mom's dress is beautiful. Thank so, you. I mean, it all works out. It all works out. Um, but I think that that is, that is also very true. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, I guess it's just really interesting. And, and for a second, I just kind of wanted to think about, this is sort of the tip of the spear, right? This changes the whole Disney kingdom, right? From this point on, uh, it's it's you know give or take kind of a stream of successes right there are, there yeah. are a handful that 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 you know and and as Kenny mentioned you've got Toy Story coming out in '95 so Pixar kind of becomes part of this as well so when that happens you really could say that Disney kind of has a unparalleled run that's still going oh, up, that starts up through, with this movie. Up, up through '95 it was you know yeah. four, the four biggest fucking movies they've ever done. Yeah. Which so, are untouchable, really. I more mean, or less, yeah. the five. I mean, yeah. not Snow White, I guess, but you know what I mean. Just like four hundred million dollars smashes. So I actually don't think Little Mermaid made a hundred. And I, um, I think it's wild that, and I mean, in merchandising, also when you consider that oh, and factor can't that, can't even in. imagine. Yeah. But I'm saying when you, it's it's almost unimaginable now to think that Disney was considering shuttering their animation department. Now it's Disney is so synonymous with animation in no small part, thanks to this run that begins with Little Mermaid. Yeah, it's it, it really, I mean, I guess more than anything, thanks to, to Howard Ashman from a, on a musical level, but also just on a structural level, yeah. like these movies become pretty bulletproof in the way that they're structured. Um, you know, that, that's, that's for all intents and purposes, that's what this movie starts, right? They're Which just, is sort they're, of- they're, they're four, I, I think these four, for, first four movies, are four incredible films. Mm-hmm. They they are these perfect marriages of source material yeah. with uh, director, with songwriters, with voice talent, with artists. It they yeah. just work so well. To your point, Phil, they're they're really yeah. joyous. They build on each other. They get more and more complex. Like audiences grow with them. I mean, The Little Mermaid is wildly simplistic, and I love it for that. Yeah. But you know, in the Lion, the Lion King, well, just five years later, the stuff that they do with the animals and the stampede, and then the stuff that they do narr- narratively and thematically with um, with Mufasa dying. Um, I don't know if we lost. Dana. I'm here. No, no, I'm oh, here. Okay. My internet is just sometimes it, it makes you sound okay. robotic if I'm not on. If I oh, if my video okay. is on, if okay. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. We, as long as you can hear us, we're all good. I'm great. Yeah. Okay. I, I uh, totally agree. I think Henny, the, an important point you're also making is like those stories are simplistic because they feel fabulistic and like part of the canon already. They're just like 
their iconic stories. Where and it's I like mean, if you yeah. if you ask to, to describe the story of Frozen, it's not iconic in the same way because you know it's the source material isn't quite as bulletproof. Well, that's an interesting kind of thing about Disney in '89 or whatever. So you go in the 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 '80s. And you're pulling The Great Mouse Detective, which I think was like some book series that no one had ever heard of. Basil of Baker Street. There you go. Um, you have Oliver and Company, which is a fucking Dickens book. Um, you, <laughs> why are you, why, why did you say fucking Dickens book like that? But like, because the, they, Dickens because, isn't good? Because, they don't, because they're not fairy tales. And they don't lend, oh, themselves, okay. they don't lend okay. themselves to this kind of storytelling the way a, uh, a Snow White does, a Cinderella does, a Sleeping Beauty does. Um, for instance, even a Robin Hood. Um, right. Those stories are like sure. in the are, are are in the canon all over the place. Whereas Oliver, I think people know to some extent, but uh, Basil Baker Street, no one knew. Well, and, it's Basil Baker Street is Sherlock Holmes, so I just want to be fair to to them. Okay. Okay, fair. It's, I mean, it's I, Sherlock I, Holmes. What, what the point? The point I'm making is when Little Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin come out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like they are pulling from the bottom shelf True. of of IP. It feels like these are the things that have always been there. Yeah, it felt like it felt it felt already a part of Disney yeah. in a way that you can't ever do with Oliver and Company. I now, agree with that. On I the back with, of on the back of those three. They take mm-hmm. their giant swing with Lion King, which is, you know, no source material. material well, it's slash, Hamlet. Hamlet slash Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no source material slash Hamlet, um, yep. which is in no way a Disneyfied movie or a Disneyfied story. Right. And, uh, and, and they, they bet on the sophistication they have already inculcated in their audience. And it worked like gangbusters. Now, sure. from there, I would argue they kind of lost, they, 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 they kept their, they kept themselves in the right lane in terms of music yeah. and in terms of visuals and in terms of yeah. voice talent. But I think they kind of lost their way with their source material. I don't think Pocahontas is a particularly great, you know, story for a Disney movie. I don't think Hercules works as a Disney movie. I don't think Tar- I'm not saying these are bad movies. I happen to right, really right, love Pocahontas. Right. I just think there's something about a lot of these movies that don't really play well, I would, I, I think, I think to yeah. your point, Kenny, and, and I agree to a certain degree, which is that the IP starts to become a little bit unwieldy. You know, if you look at something like Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's not really, which I think is it's accessible it, have, in that way. You, you have to work, right? You have to work. Well, to, to, it gets sweaty. Yeah. And, yeah, and, it, it and, and you have to like change the ending. You have to do all sorts of things. By the way, that's, that's why I think Princess and the Frog feels like it's part of this yeah. canon because yeah. Princess and the Frog really works well, right? Yeah. Even though it's like this yeah. weird, it's like on its own weird island in the 2000s. Like totally. Princess Tiana yeah. has a presence in the parks yeah. and is something that, you know, people show their kids and feels like it's all part of the same thing. It's, uh, you know... Dana, you mentioned earlier about just sort of the water. And when this started, I I, I did think about Finding Nemo, which obviously, yeah. you know, is a, a big water-based Disney movie. And how it's this big movie, wet Disney movie. It's a big, big wet Disney wet movie. Wet Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I do th- I do think that this film really does sort of set the stage 
for what Nemo becomes, right? I mean, this is a beautifully, not just beautifully animated, but just like the world building, you know, because Kenny, you're talking about sort of these IP things where a lot of the world isn't necessarily etched in stone, right? I mean, some of it is obviously Hunchback of Notre Dame is what it is, but a lot of this stuff, they have to kind of make up whole cloth. And Little Mermaid is, Little Mermaid is, 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 yeah. is, is the Basics of the Little Mermaid, right? Are are in this movie? The basics. Yeah. A Little Mermaid wants to be, you know, wants wants legs and wants to go and marry a prince and sells yeah. her voice to a sea witch, and that's yeah. it. That's, that's I mean, what more do you got. need? Yeah, and that's you don't need story. more than that. That's, that's <laughs> that. I mean, everyone, you know, I don't think it's it's a revelation that to, for people to find out the Hans Christian Andersen book ends quite differently, very <laughs> sure. differently. She turns into sea foam. That's right. What happens foam. to her at the end? She. Uh, oh, you don't know this? No, she, I've never read she it. She turns into sea foam because Eric. I mean, the prince doesn't fall in love with her. Really? Yeah. Oh, you, oh. I guess we should talk about this little film. I'm so. I, I'm sorry that I didn't know this. I feel like an no, asshole no, no, for no, not knowing. Okay. But yeah, she she turns into. Sea read foam. a book, Phil. Basically, it's it's what basically <laughs> the dip. There there there. There's one like major difference between. Can I just I, say I, the disembodied voice of Dana screaming, "Read a book, Phil!" Was just, a, it just really hit me like a right. dagger in the heart. So I don't want to get too too far into it, and I don't want to like totally no, be fine. wrong. But a lot of people read The Little Mermaid as a um, allegory for women growing up, and you know, kind of losing their voice. Or having their voice taken oh, okay. from them. Okay. Um, but what I believe Hans Christian Andersen really was getting at was uh, he was a closeted gay man mm-hmm. who was uh, kind of in and around high society, but never felt like he could be a member of high society and live the life he wants to live mm-hmm. because it was, you know, 150 years ago. That sure. really seems to be what the, 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 allegory he's making in this now there are two things like one it kind of you know famously ends with her first like in order to get her legs uh she sells her voice but also her legs feel like she's walking on broken glass with every step every step yeah it's like it it's a physically painful step so that's the idea of of trying to (laughs) assimilate when you are not like trying to like pass for straight when you're not straight um i think and then uh, the other thing Ugh. is there is this idea that humans have souls mm-hmm. and mermaids do not. And when mermaids die, they turn into sea foam, um, which is a term that just gets thrown around, which I just assume means like the, the, the foam bubbles. that happens. Yeah. When, yeah, the bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. bubbles that, you know, when you see a wave and the fall, it's a yeah. terrible thing to turn into. Whereas humans, <laughs> humans have souls. And I think there is this reading of it where at the end uh, she does turn into sea foam because he doesn't fall in love with her, but she also has a soul and is able to like move on to the next stop. Oh, but I'm not exactly sure uh, what happens there. But the point is, uh, it is a bit of a nightmare. Do you think that Sophia Coppola's Little Mermaid was going to follow closer to the book? Absolutely, right? Probably way more painful. That's why you do it. Yeah, that's why you do it, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, if you're if you're Rob Marshall and you have you know the the Disney IP, go ahead and make him fall in love. If you're Sofia Coppola, yes. you have to go with the sea foam. Can I tell you my favorite fun fact about uh, Hans Christian Andersen? Um, that he and Dickens were like peers, and they really respected each other, and they like wrote a few letters back and forth, and I think met once at an event, 
And uh, they were both like really happy. And in his journal, Hans Christian Anderson was like, I met, you know, Dickens. I was overjoyed. What a delight. <laughs> then I don't know if it was a few years later or like a few months later, but sometime later after this like friendly interaction, Hans Christian Anderson comes to Dickens or writes him a letter and is like, hey, I'm coming through England. I would love to visit. And Dickens is like, great, come stop in for a visit, assuming it would be like a weekend or overnight. Hans Christian Andersen stays for five weeks, like literally until the entire Dickens family goes absolutely insane and don't know how to deal with this man. It, it like it screws over the, the entire Dickens family to the point where Charles Dickens has to be like, you have to leave oh my now. And then yeah. they never wrote any more letters. Can he I just say really, this? When are you writing sad the guy. feature version of this, Dana? Because I mean, that I is a feature. It, it's all yours. We can write I, it together. I I'm just uh, tell me that like you Chuck, don't want to like write Chuck the book, but it's it's Chuck and Hans. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to try to find. I feel like there has to be some Wikipedia that talks about this, just so I can read a it's, sentence. It just uh, sounds fantastic. Oh, okay, here's the sentence. Okay, ten sorry. years later, sorry, it wasn't months later. It was ten years <laughs> after they like met, you know, and had a nice time. Ten years later, oh Anderson visited England again, primarily to meet Dickens. He extended the planned brief visit to Dickens' home into a five-week stay, much to the distress of Dickens' family. It's, I'm it's, you, it's great. It's Chuck and Buck meets What About Bob? And then here's the sad yeah. part. Dickens oh, gradually no. stopped all correspondence between them after Anderson was told to leave. This to the great disappointment and confusion of Anderson, who had quite enjoyed the visit and could never understand why his letters went unanswered. You know I mean, tell like? me you wouldn't watch Will Ferrell as Hans Christian Anderson. You know what it's like? It's like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah. Where he's just he's just so annoying. Because like I think that was Brilliant. part of Hans Christian Anderson. He's so annoying. Thing. He's so annoying. But like he and also he doesn't is understand. so sad. <laughs> He's a great movie. Dickens is gradually ghosting him after this visit because he made his life a living hell. It's what about Bob? It's so good. It's so um, good. Um, anyway, my apologies, but I'm just going to say about I'm going to tweet, that. Phil. Do I have your permission to tweet? Absolutely. Where is the what about Bob remake? No. Yes. No. <laughs> Make the movie instead. Well, Don't give away I, our gold. <laughs> what happens? What happens on this pod becomes our IP, and we own. 50% of a Dana. All right. When Don't, it happens, when it happens, consider this a verbal yes. contract. Correct, All right. You can correct. go, you can yeah. tweet it. Uh, you can fine. absolutely tweet it, Dana, please. It's great. It's um, great. It's a great. The play. other thing about Hans Christian Anderson is he is like Denmark's, you know, favorite son. Sure. And like the, there's a, there's a statue. Um, I, I'm going to just. Gonna I've been sit. to the statue. Oh, can sorry, I really? say it's in Copenhagen? Copenhagen. Is that correct? It is. Uh, yeah. A little bit outside. It's like in the wall. I mean, it's, at the port you have to take a boat to see it but yeah it's in copenhagen so the, the it is like it is like the the most important text of the country and when they, it's not <laughs> it's a tourist they, attraction it's a, it's like a little mermaid that tourists go to it's not like no i didn't, Denmark I didn't say that residents are like paying homage text of the great. country i said text I kierkegaard kierkegaard is from denmark um, it's not I'm the looking most up important the, right the now. point I is like. the point i'm making is yeah, yeah they the uh the little mermaid disney version is despised by the danes because they changed the ending the okay. ending of the original was very you know important to Danes, and it has been uh, they, they they like hate it. They they have just they have completely you know 
they shunned it. It's like not my little mermaid. But um, yes, I'm just looking at this statue and imagining this man refusing to leave Charles Dickens. (laughs) Oh, you're looking at a statue of Hans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the statue. It's like a statue of um, you take a boat because you're a tourist when you go to Copenhagen and it's um, a statue of like a mermaid on a rock. Oh, that I'm sorry. I'm looking at Hans. I wasn't looking at the little mermaid. My apologies. No, it's again, basically, a, it's I, basically just res- I just want to respect Danish people and res- respond that I don't think Little Mermaid is their central text that Kierkegaard is Danish. And I think that they would take issue with that. It's 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 like to, it's to the Danes. <laughs> it's to the Danes. What um, what like uh, Wizard of Oz is to us. Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a central narrative fairy tale for sure. And, okay. And if we change the end of Wizard, of, oh wait, I think we did. But <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, we changed. Uh, like, we changed. Yeah, we, we changed. Change Wizard of Oz. Um. So can That's I ask you guys? I have a I have a piece of trivia that I'm curious because I know you guys go deep on Little Mermaid. So I'm curious if you know what Sebastian's full name is. Oh, I do. Um, okay. Sebastian. Oh, fuck. Sorry, I did, and now I lost swear. it. Sebastian is his last name. It is. I it know is his that. Last name. I, um, he has I only four know names. One of his first Th- names. Thelonious is one of them. Thelonious is the one. second. Yes. Yeah. Do you know? Uh, I'm not going to look it up. Because I believe that's there's Crustaceous. In Correct. There. Yeah. That is the fourth. Crustaceous Sebastian. What is the first one? Horatio Thelonious, Horatio Thelonious Ignatius Crustaceous Sebastian. That's a great name. It's a great <laughs> name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't name one of your kids that, Kenny. Well, I didn't like this movie until my kids were, were born. I was Luke on this movie, lukewarm. I it's did name so one of my funny. kids Luke. Ugh. But um, I was lukewarm on this movie before uh, my twins were born, and I watched it every day and slowly recognized sure. um, how, brilliant I, what, it was. how brilliant it was. I think, I think it was probably my fourth of the four before interesting this. and it's definitely my first now it's not even really a question. okay it's not, I, even, I, it's not even a question which you one know of the i'm obsessed first. with beauty and the beast so that i love beauty and the beast yeah beauty and the beast is my favorite little mermaid is top 10 easily yeah i oh, think no, there's I, also I, i'm just talking about the four uh the, the like the four seminal disney movies you're talking little mermaid aladdin beauty and the beast lion king is that what you're saying Yes, but I'm yeah. also say, but I would also say, Little Mermaid's my favorite Disney movie, my favorite okay, di- Disney animated film. It's a great one. Yeah, I think I would go Beauty and the Beast of those four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beauty and the Beast, uh, Aladdin. Oh my God! I think Little Mermaid might be my third. It might be then. And then Lion King. Lion King. I mean, it's that's a it's close. All four all of those great. are really They're all close. Perfect well. movies. I mean, there's no bad movie in that bunch. That's I mean, why I'm like, oh. Yeah. I, I will say this though, and we talked about this a little bit earlier about like how tight this movie is. It's like eighty-five minutes with credits, basically. Yeah. But like, it's also about how surgical and smart it is, an economic with the information that it gives us yes. on top, right? Yeah. Where it's like we're at her want song less than ten minutes into this movie. Like it's it's literally that quick. Where it's like Sebastian's told by Triton, you got to watch my daughter. You know, she's fucking everything up. I think it's also something that I don't, I don't think is given enough credence is that Sebastian sees her sing that song. Mm. So Sebastian understands her wants, her desires. So the push and pull of Sebastian's character is 
an understanding of wanting to help this girl get what she wants, but also being a minion to the king. Like that, that in and of itself, I think is the, the major conflict at the heart of this movie. For sure. I think Sebastian is very much get, becomes convinced to come to Ariel's side pretty quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, for sure. I think it's, it's part of it is him seeing her sing that song and then witnessing her essentially <laughs> get imprinted by her love of Prince Eric, like Whoa. so close to each other. Yeah. The, the the main difference between now and then yeah. is it's... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I couldn't imagine selling an audience on love at first sight the way this movie does. Yeah. And having an, and and just expecting the audience to sign off on it as easily yep. as you do and I do and audiences at eighty nine and audiences today do, yep. I think I think that sucks, frankly. Like I, I and again, yeah. it's not one size fits all. Not every single movie has to be a one uh, a, a love at first sight situation, mm-hmm. but it works so powerfully in this film as an inciting incident for this. You know, really the the, the back two thirds of it mm-hmm. um and, and, and it's mean, almost I, wordless to be clear too like well, this we're talking about like the ability through animation to see her sing this song and then to see the look on her face watching this prince dance, who again as we were saying is not acting like a dick he's not acting he's acting you know what i mean no, you understand why she's falling for him so quickly all of this is like economy and the precision of of imagery to make sure that to your point kenny the audience is immediately willing to go along on because the rest of this movie falls apart without it. I mean, if you don't believe in her love for this guy and, and, and quite frankly, her, her willingness to do anything to be human, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I mean, a, lot, and a lot of that comes from Sebastian making yes. that turn. Yes. From Sebastian, a character we like and we trust, all, you know, going from I don't believe her and I don't think this was, this is right to... Uh, it's so clear that this is what she wants. And if I don't help her, she's you know going to be kind of lost on her own going for it. Totally. I, I also think like the love at first sight, it really works in this movie. You know, just again, because this movie is all about the economy of the storytelling and the fabulistic element of it, where it's just like, we meet these two archetypal characters. He's cool. He has a dog. We get it. Where... <laughs> um, now, I think it would feel a little tight, like it's been done before because it's been done by Little Mermaid. Yeah. 
I, I, I also just, so, you know, around this point, we see Ursula's Garden of Lost Souls, which is a surprisingly creepy and effective, I don't even, these are like polyps or I don't know what you would call these I things. they were like, seaweed. I always thought they were are seaweed. Are they seaweed? Okay. Uh, that's but they look always... kind of like, like. It's disgusting. <laughs> they're, 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 they're just, they're, they're sea foam. <laughs> with eyes and like weird little like jowls. Yeah. They are it's things you desperately don't want to become. You don't want to be that. Yeah. I I so they're like this, they're like yeah. they're like little hand puppets. They're like little sock puppets. They're gross. Yeah, they're gross. They're like little like growths out of the ground. It's gross. They're like, it's gross. Yeah, you it's don't like want to be Bo Burnham's sock puppet. Yes. Who yes. lives in a you know uh, Mr. Sock. Just, a state yeah. of you know, uh, a, like like a not quite dead, Slug. not quite alive yeah. state. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I, I I mentioned this to you, Kenny, earlier when we were talking about something else. But just I found myself sort of um, obsessed with like outsiders, and Ariel is a weirdo, right? Like within her universe, she is a weirdo. She's an outsider who has this you know giant. I don't know, collection of weird human artifacts that all have insane names and she doesn't really know what they mean because Scuttle has no idea what they actually are, which is a great bit. One of the great best bit. bits. So funny. A, a good yeah. bit. Um, and when Triton destroys all of her stuff, it's fucking heartbreaking. Like, it's really crushing. And it's a moment where, I mean, obviously it's a turning point in her character where she's now feels as though she has nothing to live for. Like these things are essentially keeping her alive in a weird way. And I, I just, the, the moment when he destroys all of them, as I guess, I mean, I, I don't know father daughter relationships, but I assume that at a certain point you have to put your foot down and you have to say like, I know best, mm. but this is a terrible situation. I think, I don't think he oh. knows best in this situation. Uh, I Do you think know. Triton is doing the right thing by destroying no. all of her shit? No, that's why no. I think the important. I can't tell what Kenny. He learned. What Kenny's he learned. <laughs> I thought I was just listening because I was like, "Yeah, point well yeah. said." He, that's the lesson he learned at the end to let her go. He right. learned that he totally. was doing the wrong thing. He was trying to protect her, but at the cost. And went too of, far. Yeah, yeah, at the cost of who she actually was and what she wanted to be. I wanted he, to bring up a yes, totally please. separate point, but I do feel like it's important to talk about. Uh, did you guys have a crush on brunette Vanessa? <laughs> Isn't it weird that she has a name and her name is Vanessa? I always found yeah, that. I that's the part of this movie did... where I'm like, oh, wow, this movie takes a turn. Yeah. But I... she looks so mean. Although, oh, yeah. but Kenny and I, I mean, we love, that's we love why I'm like, do you, do you yeah. love <laughs> meanies? I, lo- I love meanies, but I don't love her. She, but I do, she is attractive, but I also don't really like, um, I, you know, you get in some 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 slippery territory in this film when you start calling him attractive. Uh, I well, I want to answer Phil's question real fast. If I think what please, he did please, was please, was, yeah. was right or wrong, mm-hmm. um, I think that 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 uh, going with that binary right or wrong kind of misses the point. That's fair. Um, That's fair. He he ascribes to the same logic sebastian does which is Mm -hmm. up there they're gonna eat you and they're gonna kill you and they're savages and they're monsters and uh it's it's genuinely dangerous for you to go up there now it's important to note this is born out of ignorance he doesn't know he doesn't really know what's up there all he knows is you know 
all the, the, the tales he's been told from years and years of being afraid of these, you know, fish eaters up there. But if you don't understand where he's coming from, yes. then he becomes a villain. Yeah. And all he, I wasn't all suggesting he, is, he was malicious in his intent. I, well, I, I know, think he thinks he's doing what's right. He grows. He learns and grows. Yes. He, he yeah. learns better. Yeah. I think that, that's yes. yeah. really clear. Yeah. But, yeah. Yes, but but I, I, I think it is a heartbreaking moment because we three humans know that mm-hmm. humans are not so bad, though, you know, yeah. in, in the 30 years since this movie's come out, it's been it's been a little more in question. But uh, as a human, I'd like to believe humans are pretty good, but he doesn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah, you know? no, he he no, rightfully he... thinks humans are violent and bad. It's very much also the dad from Ponyo. A mm-hmm. very fun movie, it also is. inspired it by is. The Little Mermaid. Yeah. That, that, this that, is, that, yeah. Yeah. This is a pretty classic thing when dealing with humans and other creatures who are dealing with humans. That humans are the worst. And it's interesting to put yourself in the the shoes in to be empathizing with the other creatures. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking at humans and feeling this, you know, I, I always kind of feel this weird, um, <laughs> like weird defensiveness when humans are painted as the enemy, like Mwali, for instance, right? Sure. Like this weird defensiveness, like we're not that bad. <laughs> I mean, we're not great either, but I, I well, do. I guess we're not. I do want to answer uh, or or piggyback on your Vanessa question, Dana, because uh, for the live action film, uh, Ursula is being played by Melissa McCarthy, but Vanessa was going to be played by Casey Musgraves, and then she, she subsequently is not playing that role. She but looks like Vanessa. That's why. Wouldn't that have been amazing? Oh my god, she really looks like Kenny. Her. Looks Kenny looks torn. I know that Kenny loves Casey Musgraves, so I was just I felt like that was. A, I love a, Casey Musgraves. That's my girl. Um, <laughs> I really I'm, wish well, that they that yeah. they were doing that. That seems perfect. She would have been great. Yeah, I'm. I, I <laughs> I'm. I don't. I the whole live action thing. To be honest, guys. Yeah. I kind of want to pretend it doesn't exist. Not that That's like fair. I'm against it, and but like I can feel the discourse coming on, and oh, yeah. I am not looking forward to it. It's already like gross to me and like uncomfortable. And I just, you know, like, all right. So I know like the, the Melissa McCarthy casting is already like a thing. Um, you don't think people are going to like her as, as Ursula? No, I mean, no, cause she's not campy enough. I don't know if people are going to like her as Ursula. She may, she may. Pull a, she may pull a Lady Gaga and prove to be completely up to the Yeah, test. let's see how she does it. She, I, she, no, I'm not sitting here yeah. knocking it. I, but I think the point I'm making, Dana, is like, yeah, that's the right response. That's the right way to look at any piece yeah. of, sure. of, of sure. art. Yeah, let's wait to see how she does it. I'm just scared about the discourse. I've already heard, I, I've already heard, you know, some of the discourse about her and it's bad. And I'm well, not looking I mean, forward to more. <laughs> I, I hear you, Kenny. And I and I would say that this is perhaps the of the the four that we've talked about, the 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 Mount Rushmore of of Disney films. This is the hardest one to do, I would say, in terms of They're how you execute execute from the animation to live action. I mean, I don't particularly think that the Beauty and the Beast film was particularly good, but I also don't think that it was an abomination. It was fine. It was it was fine. Um the the you know the Favreau Lion King 
looked absolutely beautiful, but we didn't need it and did not have any of the energy of the original film. And Guy Ritchie's Aladdin is an insane fever dream of a movie that I still can't believe exists. Mm. I don't know what this is going to be, but to your point, Kenny, I'm not particularly looking forward to the discourse. Um, and I don't think we really particularly need this movie. That's just, it's, I don't, I don't know what Melissa McCarthy physically is going to look like as Ursula. I don't know what all of this stuff is just, I just don't know. It's a big old X factor to me. I don't know what Aquafina's voice as, as a, as Scuttle is going to be. I don't know. Oh, that, what this that's is. perfect but, casting. That one, that's that, that's like, like sometimes you go outside the box and you just fucking hit it so hard. <laughs> and Aquafina is like our, who's, who's our, um, I can't remember. The name of the guy. He, she's already <laughs> hacked. Like, if you, again, not to go back to Jumanji all the time, but you just have to watch Jumanji 2 and see her do her Danny DeVito. She's like flawless for this role. That one is perfect. Um, and I I'm know excited. she's going to be great. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think we'll like see. I think like the issue with, with Melissa McCarthy is pretty simple that like Ursula is an over the top campy, you know, character modeled on Divine. Um, obviously, there's like strong drag queen energy there. And I think that there are a lot of people who feel like um, there are a lot of drag performers who may have been really good, exciting, unique choices. Uh, I am not fair. advocating for that. I am just saying I know what's going to happen. I hear that. And it's you know going to be kind of a fire on Twitter for a few days. So maybe we'll just I, turn, I turn hear off, that. We'll just turn off Twitter. I I do want to ask on the Ursula uh, front. I don't think there's a better villain song than "Poor Unfortunate Souls." There isn't. Is there? Uh, Gaston is a really good villain. I don't know if that counts. That's a good Gaston villain. Song. That's why I was like, it's almost, it's not the villain like describing his plan, but it does have some of my favorite rhymes in a Disney movie. Sure. Um, but yeah, Poor Unfortunate Souls is an amazing song. Well, because it's just like Ursula's a little next level. It's like, it's just, it's, it's, it's like also. a peacocking song. Also, <laughs> here's my favorite part about Poor Unfortunate Souls. In yes. terms of not over explaining things, she goes, yeah. And I fortunately have a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. Done. Done. No more explanation. Magic exists in this universe. She has it. Move on. Every I every totally line heard. of that is brilliant. I love Poor Unfortunate Souls. Yeah. Uh, I also think, I, I. what do you think of Gaston just in general? I love the song. I think he's amazing. But I think he makes for a really, really interesting villain. A very un-Disney villain. I love I Gaston. I think he's one of the most interesting villains. He's like so jealous and petty and insecure. Yeah. I think he's one of the most well-rounded animated villains. Uh, no, I, I unironically, I love him. He Because if you look at the, again, you look at the big four, uh, just for, you know, the sake. In general, before that, it was, you know, old evil women. So that sure. was cool. Um, but the old evil moms. But um, <laughs> but in, you look at these four and the other three. I'm all right. So you take Ursula, a sea witch, larger than life, and Jafar, a sorcerer, larger than life. Um, Scar, who becomes Scar's a got king. A good song. Scar has Amazing. a good song. Be prepared Scar's an interesting villain. He prepares villain. a good song. Yeah, he is, yeah. and he's he's layered, but he's a classic villain in a lot of ways, right? I'll I mean, also literally, say Gaston from, is the only one of those four that's not like queer coded. Oh, that's interesting. You don't think so? Well, <laughs> no, no, no. We watch that movie. He's aggressively straight. He's he, an exaggeration may, of heterosexuality. Uh, maybe you protest a little too much, Dana. Not sure. There is, 
I mean, it, ironically, that's the one that they had, you know, LaFoe play. Uh, yes. Gave for half a second in that film. But um, but I just I think the interesting thing about Gaston, to your point, is he, he is never more powerful than the Beast. That's a big part of this. Yes. And he draws his power from leading a mob <laughs> like that. He is he is yeah. Trumpian yes. in a way that like these other villains aren't like. Yes, I agree. Gar is just the next in the line of succession. And the other two contain magic. So he's also the I, most terrestrial, right? Yeah, he's, he's the, the most, most grounded. Yes. He's he's just a guy for what he's that's a guy, and he's an insecure yeah. guy. Correct. He's deeply yeah. insecure. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I, and the thing I don't like about him is I don't believe that he can get a shot on the beast. I think the beast would destroy him. On <laughs> the beast does destroy him. The yeah. beast knocks he, him right he off he for, only, a lot of the, for a lot of the part. For a lot, he of only part. gets him because the beast gave up. And then yeah. he gets him from behind. He's a piece yeah. of shit. The Besides, only other villain. That, when I watched that movie, the, all I thought the whole thing is like, this guy is such a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'll just say this. The only other villain song that I wanted to give note to is Hellfire in The Hunchback of Notre Dame Ooh. is a great <laughs> fucking villain song. Yeah. That's the only other one that I would say within, you know, post these four that I would say is 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 a worthy you know mention. It's it's a yeah. it's a really good song, and it's also a song about faith and Christianity and hell and heaven and like it's just it's really going there. We have to do a whole thing about. Uh, <laughs> I, I could talk about Hellfire a lot. I just want to also shout out yes. that I think yes. the Oogie. I don't know if if Touchstone is counting as Disney, but the Oogie Boogie song from Nightmare Before Christmas really fucks. <laughs> that does. <laughs> True. It's, true. That's, it's, it's, it's an exception you know it's like it's not quite it's not in the right. canon of, sure, of villain sure. songs yeah. Yeah. but i just want to be like personally i mm-hmm. think that song fucks it's great it's a great song yeah, it's, it's important um so i i want to uh talk because we talked a little bit about um ariel's agency post losing her voice and i actually do think that there that she shows a lot of not just character but independence throughout that portion of the film when she doesn't have her voice that I think are that is being dismissed. And one of my I favorite moments is the moment when they're in the carriage and she's driving it and she like jumps over this giant fucking like cliff. Yeah. And it's it's a great moment where he's scared, she's in control, she's awesome, and she's just loving it. And I just it's such a joyous, wonderful moment. And even the Kiss the Girl song, she's so excited at the she's potential like, of all smooch. of this. People are like, oh, it's yeah. rapey. And it's like, no, she's, there are things like nonverbal cues. I don't understand. That's the take. I that The idea that, that Kiss the Girls in yeah, some way is about her not giving her consent. It's crazy. It's, it's, literally, it's literally existential for her. That she kisses him. She is giving every, not all consent needs to be verbal in that. I think puckering your lips and pointing at them counts as consent. Yeah. And and getting all of your friends to sing about it. To sing a song. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's literally like you telling your friend, like, tell him I have a crush on him. Yeah. That's what it is. But it's all of your friends. She didn't know sign language. So the only way she could communicate was going like this. Tell him if he kisses me, I'll allow it. Like that's what she's yeah. doing, right? Yeah. She's, she's yeah. not being she's not being a fucking dork about it. You know? She's being cool. <laughs> <laughs> so Kenny, I have a question for you because I know you're a big rules guy. I love the rules. I think Ursula's cheating. I think this Vanessa shit is cheating. I think you're- that she knows she was gonna get beaten. 
She gets her two eels to knock over the boat. Then she turns into Vanessa. Like this is, and then she fucking hypnotizes but, him. Like this but, is unfair. But, Phil, this it is... wasn't wasn't in the contract originally. No cheating wasn't in the contract. That's well, I guess I, that's true. I guess, and I, I do want to point something out. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is where you separate the wrestling fans from the non wrestling fans. <laughs> okay, the, the difference between a good guy and a bad guy in wrestling yeah. very simply now occasionally deviates from this, but is sure. good guys play fair and bad guys cheat. Okay, and that is that is. Of course, she's going to cheat. She's a bad guy. I guess that's, that's true. We, we that's only true. hate her more for it. Yes, I agree. I agree with I agree with you that she's cheating. But I but she is a bad guy. Bad guys cheat. I also want to point out that this isn't like going to torts court. It's like this is also <laughs> a situation where she is <laughs> she's cheating. But it's a meta. The metaphor is it's a deal with the devil, and it's like yeah, mm. when you make a deal with the devil, it's sort of like a Okay, I'll teach you how to do like. Okay, you'll be the best pianist in the world, but I'm gonna break all your fingers. You know, Ooh, it's Mephisto like Mephisto Waltz. The, yeah, the Mephisto Waltz. It's it's uh, that is exactly what I was thinking of. Uh, <laughs> not the fingers thing, but the pianist thing. It's a deal with the devil, and and right. so the the twist is part of the moral and the message. Yes. The, right. the, the the deal with the devil, the deal with the you know evil sea queen is always the same. It is it is what is what is specified. Mm-hmm is the contract and everything else is a loophole anything else you want to pull is the devil you can pull, i get it right sure so I, you know that's funny because that was the first uh gladwell podcast on this was how it was about the contract where i guess you guys yeah. you, were you guys tapped out because it was so unbelievably stupid i got the gist and i was just like you're <laughs> analyzing this incorrectly malcolm he, yeah. It was like it, it teaches kids the the law is wrong. She's like the the professor was on being like it's a minor entering into a contract. This contract is void. I'm like, oh my god, I can't. Well, yeah, even of course it's this. void, but she's I'm, magic, so fucking yeah, she's a fucking yeah. sea witch. You're it's the, a fucking the fairy sea. tale. It's also, over. the laws you're applying the laws of the United States, where maybe in Atlantis minors can be entered in contracts. You don't know that. It's awful. They're it's talking awful. underwater. You're just no. saying that in the above, you're applying above land laws to below the Dana, sea kingdom. It's not even a maybe. It is the case. <laughs> I saw the contract. It is. It is. It is legal, binding, and unbreakable. Also, this is a this is a monarchy. You can't apply a United States law to the kingdom of Triton. You're Untrue. you're you're a fool. You're a fool, Malcolm. And so that's why I was like listening to this, and I was like, all right, I guess this is funny, but like. You know, you're missing. He didn't mean it to be funny. He didn't mean it to be funny. He meant it to be serious. He's like, this is the cultural rot bubbling under society. This is why this is this is why global global warming is happening because of I'll say this. Um, I uh, I want to talk for a second about at the end of the film, they're on the boat. Vanessa turns into a giant octopus lady. Yeah. Ariel turns into a mermaid. And Eric seems pretty unfazed with all of this. Like, none of this seems to really seem to shock him. He's in, him. He's in shock. Him. No, no. He's unfazed because he's in shock. He's so, he's like blank faced, deeply in shock. <laughs> yeah, it seems it, he just he's fully just dives into the water. And he's like, I got to get my mermaid woman. Like, I, I think it's one of those situations of like a mom lifting a car. Where it's just like adrenaline kicks in, and yeah, he's like, "I'll you. deal with all this later. This is insane." And like, it's fight versus flight. He just his animal brain kicks in. It's a very healthy attitude, which is yeah. this it is. is happening. This is life. I know it seems weird, but I have a job to do. 
and he does the job. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yes. have to phallically stab this giant sea octopus. Well, okay. So this is, first of all, giant Ursula's fucking rad. I'm a big fan of giant Ursula. When she turns into that giant sea creature yeah, and she's yes. using the Triton's uh, trident to like do all this crazy shit with the ocean. That's amazing. Um, I, I want to take a second to just talk about Eric. He camp- commandeers a wrecked ship and he impales her with the the splintered oh. a splinter mast thing at the beginning I, of the, you said a wrecked ship. I thought you said an erect ship. No, which wrecked. is also true. Wrecked. Also yes. true. Um, and impales her with it. That's gotta be one of the most violent deaths from a Disney film, too, right? Well, uh, I will argue that also in the hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, the guy is hanging from a gargoyle, which spews lava from its mouth, and he falls into a pit of hell. That's which true. Which is pretty bad. That's but true. But I think, like, viscerally, yeah, no, she yeah. gets stabbed in the stomach. It's fucked up. Like, I remembered as a kid, like, it, it really kind of stays with you. There's something kind of, you mess with the bulls, <laughs> get the horns. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, but it is. Usually, you're right. Most Disney villains fall, so you, and you don't hear a splat. And in this, right. you really like she got stabbed. You see it, yeah. like it's yeah. it's it's a wide shot. <laughs> like it's, I'm just, I, I it's one of those things where like Gaston falls into like you know smoke clouds, whatever falls Snow. off the building, yeah. whatever it is. It's just it's it's a really kind of it's awesome. Like I'm all for it, but I'm just like it's kind of a shocking death for her. It's pretty it's pretty cool. I don't know. I thought it was. I I, I, I think I it's cool. It was truly scary. Yeah, like her getting big is truly scary. Yeah, her going down like that is very exciting. Yes, um, and then <laughs> and then her her somehow also getting electrocuted at the same moment. I'm super into. Yes, um, the one moment we didn't mention was when he's playing the flute with the cape uh, contemplatively. That's a good moment. Then he throws the flute and goes, yeah, just whips yeah, it out into the ocean. I, that's when I really started liking him. All right, keep going. She's dead. Uh, yeah. I, so, I mean, Ursula's dead. Triton and all the other mermaids that she's trapped get to rise from the from the depths of her fucking weird soul garden. Uh, and Ariel obviously gets her voice back. She tells Eric that she loves him. Triton willingly changes her in, uh, from a mermaid into a human permanently and obviously approves the marriage. And they get married on a ship and they, they fly away like at the end of Greece. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, with a rainbow. With a rainbow. Rains in the rainbow. And- it's a rainbow, and all the all the sea creatures are applauding this the nuptials, and uh, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I think that's how Dana's uh, planning her wedding, if I'm not mistaken. That it's going to be yeah, big boat, fluffy boat Diana, big fluffy Diana dress uh, on, a boat. Boat, on a boat with a rainbow <laughs> on a pirate Merman. ship. Merman. Merman. Yeah, yeah. Where, I, is it, where are they going? Is she gonna? It's gonna. Uh, as I'm gonna say, as someone who did watch. Uh, Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. Oh, okay. Uh, that boat, you know, turns back around and they live in this kingdom and she has a daughter who wants yeah. to be a mermaid. Who has dark hair. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I'm we'll a, uh, the, flip the there. One thing I yeah. deeply dislike about this movie, there's just one. Okay. I deeply, deeply dislike the way Flounder is able to just kind of float yes. on, float. The, sur- on yeah. the surface. It's kind of weird. It's off-putting. Like it's gross to me. Or whatever. Could you imagine seeing a fish like that? Yeah, it's just able to like tread at the top, like a, like, like a duck. Like yeah. it's, it's it's disgusting to me. I don't know why. 
Um, but aside from that, the movie's perfect. Um, so it's, it's a 98 disgusting. rather than a 99. It's, it's a disgusting 90- the way he bounces on the it's surface. It's gross. And flounders are gross in general. But at least they're underwater where it makes some sense. Um, I And I don't, I mean, I, I don't... Flounder was kind of the other thing that people like forget about this was Flounder kind of came out of this movie like the star. Um, kids love like, Flounder. Kids love Flounder. But I like, was too young to to know how the response was. Flounder's yeah, Flounder. No, he was like the guy. Like it was like yeah, oh, Flounder, yeah. and he and he remained the guy for some period of time. He's a cool until, dude. He's a know, fun. Story. He is a cool dude. Yeah. He reminds me a little bit of Kramer, whereas like Kramer was this, the Seinfeld guy for a while that like kind of sure. popped, and then everyone realized that George and Lame were actually the funny ones. Like now, people know that like Sebastian and Scuttle are really where it's at. Scuttle but is it took hilarious. a while. Scuttle's great. Scuttle's a genius. Um, so uh, <laughs> as we wrap up, Dana, I have one a last comic genius. <laughs> I have, I have, I have uh, one last question for you before we do our ratings, uh, and it comes back to the Howard Ashman, and I, yes. I, I'm curious as to. What are your fa- what's your favorite song from Little Mermaid? Um, I mean, part of your world, unfortunately, okay. but it got, I okay. would say it goes part of your world, poor unfortunate souls under the sea. Okay, Kenny, do you have similar ranking or do you? Uh, mm, we know how you feel about La Poisson. Definitely, definitely, I love them all. I mean, I love the five songs so much. Right. Um, but I like Kiss. I, Kiss the Girls was always my favorite. I mean, as a as a kid, like that, like for whatever reason, Kiss the Girls felt like a bonus track, right? Because you have the I Want song, you have the villain yeah. song, and then you have yeah. the big number. And yeah. Kiss the Girls felt like an extra piece that other like other uh, other Disney movies really didn't have like an analog to that. And I thought it was such a cool song and such a cool like it's it's a very that sort of like a, a little dance. I was like a little it's like a calypso yeah. like yeah. like kind of yes. vibe. Yes. It's very yeah. ca- it's it's calming. It Great almost song. has like a like a spa music vibe. I love yeah. the sitting in the blue lagoon. <laughs> I like, love that line. Uh, I love the visuals of it. I it's not my favorite because uh, I do think that part of your world is just like it's perfect. beyond. It's beyond fucking words how yeah, good that song is and how good the performance is. But uh, two is. Um, Kiss the girls. Kiss the girls. Oh, really? Okay. And, and then, then Souls? Yeah, and then Under the Sea is probably four, and then La Poisson right. is five. Yeah. But they're all very good. Yeah, La Poisson is the lowest for me. But it's fun. But it's fun. It's just a like, comic relief. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I'm into it. Uh, I think. I mean, listen, they're all great songs. Song. I, I think that part of your world is 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 such a triumph on so many levels. It is. That it's it's just sort of unimpeachable. But um, so we're going to do our rankings. Last you, thing about, part, yes, last please. thing about, and this is the genius of Ashman, part, part of your world. Yeah. It is um, funny. Yeah. And those songs are never funny. But it's yeah. a funny song. and But like funny in, in such an endearing way. All of her, what's the word, bird, what, you know, yeah. Like yeah. all the like like walking on the what do you call it feet like feet. I or I, Ashman's street, lyrics it's, just, it's Ashman yeah. is so smart in his lyrics that not only do they just communicate the basic level of like what's happening but they say something more about the character they mm-hmm. communicate character information with economy and the well, world, also and the, and the world of this of this story because you know like it's I don't think it's obvious to someone watching that you wouldn't know that a mermaid wouldn't know what a street is and wouldn't know what feet is and all the, anything that involves you know pedestrians walking she sure, doesn't sure. understand and yeah. that 
that says a lot about how much those little things, those beautiful, funny lines says a lot about how, how much interaction these two worlds have. It totally. basically says everything you need to know. I also, and this is just so nerdy, but like some of the rhyme schemes are just like so much more intricate and interesting than things that people were doing for kids movies. Like, um, mm-hmm. Betcha on land, they'd understand that you don't reprimand you reprimand your daughters. Like, yeah. there's just some of like the 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 um, sips. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of, the, it almost has an iambic pentameter. It almost yeah. has this like beat structure. Syncopation is what syncopation. I was thinking. Yes, the yeah, syncopation yeah. of the rhythm and the the lyrics. I think are so much uh, more complex than people would give a kid. So, you know, other people could have just said, oh, this is just a stupid kid song. Sure. You stick to something very basic. But I think there's also, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, Little Shop of Horrors earlier too. The the melancholy and the longing that exists in his in his songs as well th- that that plays with sort of the gallows humor that is also that exists in his in his repertoire. He's just got he had so many tools in his tool belt, and it all just sort of you know obviously um, spoke to each other so beautifully. He was obviously uh, a genius, but. Um, so to do a rating in, in, in 89, saw this film, I was nine years old. I quite liked it, but I'd be lying if I said that, that I liked it as much as Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin when I was a kid. Um, so I'm going to give it like a 77 from when I was a kid. Like I liked it. I didn't love it. Obviously before this podcast, you know, 92, I mean, like just an unbelievable movie. And now after talking with you guys, I mean, I'm at a 95, like I don't really have, it's hard to look at a movie like this and find flaws in it really. Um, Other than obviously, as Kenny said, the disgusting behavior of Flounder, but like (laughs) it's, it's, (laughs) but it it really is just, it's, it's fucking perfect. Like I don't, I don't really know how to even be critical of it. I go 93 just because I feel like you need room for improvement. Sure. Not room for improvement, room to grow because I just like some of, I like Beauty and the Beast better. I like Aladdin better. Sure, sure, sure. And if I rate it too high, then there's not, but I think it's- There's nowhere to go. It's a 93 just because it's it's an A and it it paved the way for so much to come. And its gift was it also laid the framework for others then to build and and grow. And then even for Ashman to- to build and grow in terms of what he could achieve. Totally. Kenny, do you want to, what's yours? And then we'll go. So I, I mean, I didn't give it an, an 89 rating really. I gave it a like, you know, kid rating when you were a kid, I guess. I mean, I, I gave it like, I, I didn't know. I gave it an idea, which was like a before, sure. Sure. before like, like a while ago, you know, I just yeah. like a while ago yep. uh, before the podcast, I was at a 94. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say like, I, 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 Look, it's a 94. That's a very good rating. Yeah. Um, super high. Uh, but I don't really think it's perfect. Sure, um, I, I love it though. Uh, I'm gonna st- I'm gonna st- I'm gonna go to 95. I'm not gonna let Phil be higher than me, but I'm gonna stick it at 95. Um, and I do think it's absolutely fantastic, fantastic and incredibly watchable. I don't think it's like the best one of all time. And sadly, I don't think it's gonna make my top five at the end of this year anymore. But no, um, I don't think that it will for me either. But I still, but I mean, I love I it. I absolutely love it. What, what, wow, I guess a lot of good movies came out in 1989. <laughs> 89 yeah. was a great year. It was a great um, year. And, and then I have some like super personal favorites on it. So, yeah. Um, like Kenny's favorite film of all time, for instance. What's your favorite the film dreams. of all time? Okay. I th- I've, I've Definitely made, I've, not in my top 10. I do I think, love the Tim Burton Batman, though. Yep. Tim I don't, Burton's Batman. That wasn't in my top. When Harry Met Sally, uh, Fabulous Baker Boys, I think Last Crusade. Last Crusade. I think 
I think Little Mermaid is in my top ten. Oh, for oh, sure, it's definitely it's in my, my top, top ten. 10. Oh, top five. I think we're it's talking also, top five. I think it, it'll, it'll be in my. It'll be my top five. Okay. All right. Well. Well, I don't know. I haven't been watching as many as you, and I don't know all the <laughs> movies that came sure. out in eighty nine. Very. It's a very strong year. It's a very strong um, year. Good. But year um, but Dana, we can't thank you enough for coming back to talk with us about the littlest of mermaids. Um, we're, we're, we're also, um, I personally, I wanted to mention this earlier. I love that we got to talk with you about movie mice again. Um, oh yeah. Because, thank God. You know, we were able to come full circle yes, uh, nice. and uh, talk a little bit about that. You're our movie mice expert. Movie, movie mice you expert. get on uh, screen drafts for mice movies. Mice movies. Dana. Mice, mice movies. movies. <laughs> Are there that many mice movies? There's probably uh, more than said, than you think. Yeah, okay. I mean, you have you have the the seven we've discussed. Sure. And then you have the witches is a mice movie, right? That's true. Or, if they're Mickey mice, Mouse, I mean, he's he's Mickey, got yeah, Fantasia's a mi- a mouse movie. <laughs> um, are there any other? Oh, you know what a mouse movie is? Dumbo's a mouse movie. Yeah. Mouse Hunt? Mouse, mouse hunt? hunt? Well, not really about a mouse, but you know, maybe it's a different uh, mouse. The, one. Secret, May- the Secret, of Secret of Nim? Secret that's of Nim. Yeah. A lot of mice. That's a lot of mice, Dana. Ratatouille? Ratatouille. <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean the, the obvious of, number of one? Mice movies. The, the Rat, number one. Rats or mice. Rats or mice, I think. Rats obviously play, yes. Vermin. Vermin. Rat, vermin. vermin. Well, then you're really... <laughs> then you're, you're looking at the nut job. You know, you go real... <laughs> Real deep if you go to all vermin. <laughs> you got the whole vermin? Chippendales oeuvre. Oh. You don't want to mess around. Dana, if we pitch to Clay a vermin no. podcast. He'll, he'll say absolutely not. I do well, want to say, I want yeah. to be on the record for my, I know you're not asking me, but mm-hmm. 1989 rankings. Yeah. Yes, please, I please. Think, yeah. I think Little Mermaid would be in my top five. I okay. think my number one is Harry Met Sally. And I think Heather's is also in my top yes, five. Yes, Heather's. I have like a weird obsessive with Heather's just because oh, it hit me at exactly the right time. It's perfect. It's great. Also, this is a weird 1989 movie that I hope you guys are going to talk about because it's weird, but I really love it. Is uh, She Devil? Already yep. have. Already, it's, it's literally it's literally coming out this month. Yep. I'm sorry. Well, I was like, I'm sorry, I missed no, it, no, but no. it hasn't come out yeah. yet. Yeah. Hasn't come out yet. I uh, think uh, I weirdly yeah. loved that movie when I was a kid. We weirdly like yeah, we liked yeah. it too. We yeah, loved it. Fun. Yeah, it was the, like we'd the, never seen it. It was like this is the great. one we the one we've done that I really <laughs> expected me in my top five that was not really near my top five before this is Parenthood. Yes. I haven't um, seen that. Oh, you'd it's love fantastic. it. Yeah. You'd love it. It's yeah. really, really it's good. so good. Um, but aside from that, like, you know, <clears throat> I mean, do the right thing is an 89 too. Mm-hmm. So it's there are there are probably three, I think, that are kind of locks for my list, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm uh very but, excited to hear that episode, just to hear you talk about Meryl Streep's fantastic character. She's great. She's great. It's in it. so I funny. mean, Meryl's always great, but people um, never but, think that Meryl is funny and she is. Oh, I mean, death becomes her. She, fucking, yeah. she kills it. She's unbelievable. Um, Dana, everyone should listen to your podcast. Um, can you tell our listeners about your podcast? Yeah, everyone go, does. Go listen to uh, <laughs> Noble Blood on wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Wait, Dana, can you tell there us you just a little bit about your book? Oh, yeah. and in February, I mean, pre-order, please. Uh, a book called Anatomy: A Love Story, which is a sort of spooky gothic. A uh, book about a girl who wants to be a surgeon in 
19th century Edinburgh and uh, the sort of secrets she uncovers in the process. This is our show. I can't wait to read like, it. We, we, were, we, were, we were just talking about how much we enjoy like um, old, like, like, old like medicine. Older, old medicine. Yeah. Yes. Old yeah. medicine. That's right. That's the way to put it. <laughs> yeah, um, you're going to love this book. Very it's much exactly looking forward this. to this. Can't wait. Uh, so, well, you know, shit, Dana, thank you February. again. For, maybe I can get yeah, February. Coffee. February. Right, but, but player cards, right. And I have a few extra on the shelf. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pre-order it anyway, but I, yeah. uh, I'm going to try to steal one. All right. <laughs> Dana, thank you. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1989. Baby fish mouth. Edible Baby mammoth. fish mouth. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.